While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue in every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are, are like unmarked graves and people who walk over them without knowing it. Luke 11, verses 37 through 44 is our text this morning. How many of us are pretending to follow Jesus? We're, we're just kind of acting as we're Christians in a play, but not really in, in real life. And we're, we're doing these things on the outside, but on the inside we're, we're lacking change and, and we don't have a transformed life. As a pretender, as an actor, um, we're able to give off these religious performances that come off as really caring about spirituality, but in actuality, it's, it's an act. It, it's just kind of acting out. And people applaud and people recognize your contribution to to spiritual, spiritual things, and they come to you for counsel, and they ask you for prayer, and they do all these Christian things, but all the while it's an act. Now, do any of you find that the Christian life is just a part of your life, and that it's just an acting role that you play on Sunday, or when you're in a small group, or when you're just kind of around Christians, and, and that's when you kind of play the Christian? Um, the New Testament has a, a term for that, and it's called a hypocrite. Now, uh, this was a term used for actors, a hypocrite. It's a little different than what we would deem today, but how many of us find ourselves being hypocrites in terms of actors? And so this is our our text this morning where, where Jesus is dealing with hypocrites. And so in our text, we're going to find that Jesus is confronting hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and he's doing it in kind of a harsh way. He's not kind of doing this in a passive way. Actually, he's kind of inviting this kind of uh, uh, sparring match or, or this jousting match. And Jesus, Jesus lets them have it and he exposes their inconsistency. And Jesus will show them that their light is actually darkness. Because in last week's lesson, we, we went through... Uh, light and darkness. And you can listen to that in iTunes if, if you missed that or if you need more... Um, uh, of, a, of a reminder of what that was. But back in Luke chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus said, Therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. And in moving to the verses following, Jesus will show us an example of the light moving to darkness. And it's not about religion. Because th- these Pharisees are, are uber-religious. These guys are so religious. If anyone had OCD about religion, it's these guys. These guys are so religious. Religion is their life. This is, this is their livelihood. But it's all an act. And so their religion, it looks really deep in terms of a relationship with God, but it's not. It's, it's, it's a counterfeit replacement to a relationship with God. And what, 
what was Jesus' response to such hypocrisy? He didn't like it. He didn't like it at all. And instead of praise, which, which they received from a lot of people that they fooled, Jesus rebukes them. And he calls them out on this. That probably the strongest rebukes recorded in the Bible are actually directed towards the Pharisees and the scribes. The harshest words from Jesus were directed towards these religious leaders whose life was religion. But for many of them, their religion was just this front to a relationship with God. It wasn't really a relationship with God. Now, how different it was for those who were non-religious, but they knew that they needed a relationship with God. How different Jesus was towards the outcasts of society, for those who were down and out in life, for those who were totally messed up, for those who knew they weren't good people, that they were actually sinners. And Jesus, what does he do with them? He extends compassion. He extends care. He extends interest. He extends mercy and grace and kindness. James records for us, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now for those of us who are religious, who are involved in religious leadership, be careful. Be careful. Especially for those of us whose life we say is God. It's great if God is your life, if that is a relationship with God. But if it's a religion that is your life, and it's not truly God, your life is religion, you may be a hypocrite like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Now, who are the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees thought of themselves as the separated ones. For sure separated from the Gentiles. You know, those guys, forget those guys. But it was even more than that. They were separating themselves from religious people. So it was kind of like, those religious people aren't religious enough. So we got to separate ourselves, and we have to make this separate, exclusive sect for ourselves. And now becoming a Pharisee wasn't an easy thing. I mean, these guys were smart. These guys were pretty bright. It wasn't like you could just go to your local Pharisee office and say like, hey, I'd like to sign up to be a Pharisee. And blah, blah, blah. You'd have to prove that you knew the law. You had to prove that you knew the Scriptures, that, that, that you knew what to do in these situations. And the law was more than the Old Testament books. It was all of the laws that they added in addition to the Old Testament books. And there's a lot of them. And so these are really bright people. They know their stuff. They're they're like attorneys. They're lawyers. They know a lot of this stuff. And they can bring out this stuff. And so it's these smart, influential people who are looking to get rid of Jesus. Now why do they not like Jesus? Well, Jesus called them on their stuff. Do you like people that call you on your stuff? Like, they're not your best friends, right? And so Jesus calls them on their, their stuff. And, and so Jesus also wasn't someone that they thought could call them on their stuff. They, they're like, who is this guy? Where is he from? I mean, look at the people that are following him, like fishermen and tax collectors. Give me a break. A bunch of nobodies following this guy. He's calling us on our stuff. His dad's a carpenter. His mom's a floozy. He came from a no-name town with a no-name education. Got, who's this guy? How, how, who's he call, he's calling me on my stuff? Are you kidding me? Who is he? And so here he is calling them out on their stuff. And, and they're like, what right does he have? What authority does this guy have to call me out on my stuff? And so at every turn, they're trying to catch Jesus breaking the law. And, you know, it's Sabbath, and they're walking through a field, and, and they're bringing this stuff, and they're breaking grain, and they're eating it. Aha! You're working on the Sabbath. 
And, and so they, they want to get into this debate with Jesus all the time. And, and Jesus just kind of shows them that, you know, how you're living, how you're interpreting this, this stuff, the law, it, it's just wrong. The laws that they came up with were suffocating people. They were just choking them out. It was so stifling. Jesus told them in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. And so, yes, the, the, the Sabbath is a commandment made for us, but these guys made it so stifling to live by. If you go to Israel with us in June, there's a reason why we're not going to be in Jerusalem or Israel on Sabbath. Everything's shut down. Everything's closed. Even the elevators. The elevators stop on every floor because they don't want you to push a button because it's work. So we're going to Jordan. We're going to go to Petra and we're going to do all that stuff on that side. Anyway, but that, that's kind of how it is. It, it's, it's, it's stifling. Like, you're on the 20th floor. Dude. Floor one. Floor two. And you can't walk up the stairs. So it, it, it's, it's stifling, but the laws are implemented to, to help people to get rest, but not to be stifling and suffocating. Christians do this too. We're really good at this. Right? The, the, the debate about alcohol consumption. Right? I read that Jesus' first miracle in Cana was making water into wine. That's what I read. I read in the Bible that being drunk is debauchery. And that we are to follow the laws of the land. So if you're underage, yeah, you follow the laws of the land. And, and, but, but where do we get from what is clear in the Bible to drinking alcohol is flat out sin. It's sin. Yes, if you're underage, yes, if you get drunk, if you stumble around it. But calling it a sin to a glass of wine with dinner, I don't know. That seems pretty far. And I think that's the type of law that's suffocating there are other issues too, like dancing, right? Like, I think we use the Bible and we use common sense, right? If you dance, like, you know, your hips don't lie and you're vita loca, that's, hey, chill out, you know, you save that for your spouse or something. But, you know, out in public, hey, calm down. But if you're just having fun and you're celebrating and things, I think it's cool. David danced. David danced. How people dress. Right? You, you look at things biblically and in context. Right? So all women should wear dresses to their ankles and tops should cover all their skin and their neck and up to their wrists except their face. If you are a missionary to Papua New Guinea and you show up like this, they're going to run if not eat you. They'll run. Right? And, and so, it, it's hot as heck. Why would you be wearing that? Some of the most dangerous things that missionaries have done, the, the most damaging things, is that they've, they've forced people into their own cultural context of living. Not biblical. Their own cultural context of living to the people of the world and making that a biblical mandate, when it's not a biblical mandate. It is a cultural thing that they are bringing into that context. So let's be aware of the laws that we've come up with ourselves that are extra-biblical. Right? That, that we just aren't being another brand of Pharisee. That is not Jesus. 
In fact, Jesus calls the Pharisees on these things, and he's like, man, that's nonsense. That's craziness. And this is in our text this morning, verses 37 38. Let's start there. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Astonished. What was he astonished at? Was it because Jesus, you know, Jesus was just handling raw chicken and now he showed up? He's not, is, it that, is that why? Why was he astonished? See, this has nothing to do with hygiene. Yeah, this is not, this is nothing to do with hygiene. The Pharisee was astonished because Jesus didn't partake in this ceremonial cleanse, right? And so the Pharisee saw not washing hands as defilement. This is defilement. And the Pharisees, they were paranoid about religious cooties and Gentile cooties. That, and that things, if they're not up to our standard of cleanliness, especially those Gentile cooties, we have to have the ceremonial cleanse before we eat to make sure we're all clean, ceremonially clean. And so they didn't know if people eating with them had, you know, purposely, like Jesus, or accidentally bumped into a Gentile. Just like in the market or something like, ooh, you got cooties. And, and so they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't know. So they said, when you come in, you got to do this wash just in case. If you accidentally bumped into something, or if you purposely did, we want to clean you before you eat with us. So the, let me read from you an excerpt about washing hands from the Mishnah, the law book of Judaism. This is something that the scribe, the Pharisees had to know as well, along with the Old Testament. And so this is just to give you a sense of what Jesus was dealing with here. And this is under the section called washing hands. And under that section, there's a, there's a section called the status and condition of the water and the first and second pourings of water. Are you, are you getting this? How in-depth this is? I find this entertaining. Sometimes I just read this just to get a nice laugh. And I'm not going to read all of it because we'll be here like more than all day. Here it is. If one poured water from, for one hand with a single rinsing, his hand is clean. If he poured water for two hands with a single rinsing, it is clean. One who pours water on his hands must rub his hands off. If he rubbed one hand on the other, it is unclean. If he rubbed it on his head or on the wall, it is clean. If he went and touched them, it is unclean. Do you see what Jesus is dealing with? You asked me to come over to eat some falafel. We've walked to your house. I'm reclining at your table. And now this first, second pouring of water, rinse here, wipe here, rub here. Man, let's eat. Right? Come on. But what does Jesus do? Jesus, Jesus kind of ceases the opportunity to point out this cuckoo-ness. Right? And he... he and, and, and he's like, rather than focusing on this external stuff, this is my chance to show you internal focus. Right? So the Pharisees loved to point out what they were doing on the outside, like this ceremonial washing. But Jesus is like, this is too good. I need to say something. And so he goes on the inside. And now Jesus' primary concern is in who we are before he gets to what we do. And oftentimes Christians focus on what people do more than who they are. 
And that we get it reversed. We want them to change all this stuff on the outside before kind of just finding out who they are. What's their story? What's on the inside? What, what are their struggles? What are their dreams? What do they care about? And what you and I do can just be acting. It can just be pretending when we're just doing this stuff on the outside when the inside's not changed. And so, who are we in, in, in this light? Who are we? Who we really are? That's what Jesus is wanting. See, Just doing the outside stuff and not the inside. That's hypocrisy. I'm just doing stuff, but on the inside, you know, whatever. But I'm going to wash my hands and I'm going to eat. and So I'm I'm clean. I don't have Gentile cooties. You're dirty. It's not like Jesus didn't know these extra Judaic laws. He did. He knew this whole ceremonial thing. First cleanse, rub, don't rub, wipe, all this stuff. He knows this stuff. He is purposely using this as an opportunity to challenge this Pharisee. This is intentional. Jesus is picking a fight. Why would Jesus Jesus do such a thing? Why would Jesus do such a thing? Isn't Jesus just so nice and stuff? Why is he picking a fight? Christians don't pick fights. He's picking a fight. Because he's not about to let a bunch of fakes represent him. Represent God. He's not going to let a bunch of people pretend about their relationship with God. Authenticity is important to God. He wants a genuine heart. Religious performance on the outside without a genuine heart for God, that's repulsive to him. He's not letting this get away. He's calling them on this stuff. No way. This one, one, we got to throw down here. Verses 39 through 40. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Now what do you think about someone who just kind of polishes and polishes their dishes and cups so that, that it's clean and you can see the reflection right there? It's just, that's a beautiful reflection. And, but when, but, but when, when they serve it to you, the inside looks like a Petri dish in a microbiology lab. Like, a, like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's mold growing in it. There's stuff moving. It smells funny. And would you drink? Right, but, but the outside is incredibly clean. So it is with this external ceremonial hand washing and, and, and genuine faith internally, which is not really genuine and not really authentic. Verse 41, But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Hey, the guy that made what's on the outside made what's on the inside too. You, you spend so much time cleaning the outside and you neglect the, neglect the inside when God made both. What good is a gorgeous, beautiful car that's so clean and you could eat off of it? It's so clean. But the engine doesn't work. Right? The, the inside's just all... That's not a very good car. It's no use if the inside doesn't run. Right? It, it's, it's just a shell. And so, so our inner life, not our life on the outside, is what really tells God if our lives have been transformed, if, if we are of any use. What's happening inside of you? So Jesus points out giving alms from within, giving to the poor from within, showing mercy to those in need of mercy 
from within, not as an external act for other people to see and be, oh, that is just all oh, that you're so good. You're you're so you're so holy, you're so but from the character of who you are inside. That's just who that's just who you are. This is this is what I do. Why? Because a cleansing needs to happen within that exposes the dirt of selfishness. Right? A, a phoniness, of greed, of covetousness, of all these dirt inside. And by, by cleaning within, the character of God that He has empowered you with will shine through and then people can actually receive what you have given them. I can give you what's inside if it's clean. Not just what's outside. Who wants to drink from this externally clean cup if there's sewage inside it? Right? Perhaps people will receive from us when, when they know how pure we are inside. And I think that's why Christians are sometimes repulsive. And it's so hard to work for us as a church, not because of who we are right now in the present, but what has happened to them in the past. And so when we start coming up, like, I've seen that clean cup before. And when you get close enough, it stinketh. Right? So you can't fool me. You look nice, but when, I know that when you get in, you're going to dump all that sewage on me, and I don't want it. And so it, it takes a lot of time that, that we got to be like, hey, um, take a peek. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I, I'm clean. You take a drink, and you know, it, it's cool. And it's clean. And, 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 but people are like, Ugh. no, no, I've seen that before. Right? It, this isn't anything new. This, this has happened throughout the Old Testament. And it happens today in the Old Testament books. In books like Isaiah, God was not happy with how His people were. Right? What, what they did, how they worshipped, what they brought for sacrifices, all these different religious things that they supposedly did for God. But they were actually revolting to God because they didn't extend compassion. To those who were mistreated. They didn't offer justice to those who suffered injustice. They weren't being like Jesus. Did the Pharisees think that God's purpose on earth was to have services in their synagogues? Or to follow a bunch of laws? Is that why we have a relationship with God? Do we think that Jesus came into this world and died for us so that we can have church on Sunday? Is that why we're here? To meet this morning? That's why Jesus died. All right, cheers. You know? Do we think that the kingdom of God is about passively sitting back, judging others while waiting for Jesus to come back? Jesus, we're ready for you. Anytime now. Oh, that person is terrible selling them off on the street. And how can that person be homeless right there? That's so silly. Like, can't you can make a choice to come out? Come on. Is that why Jesus came? Is that what the kingdom of God? That's phony Christianity. That's not being a real follower of Jesus. There's a huge emphasis in the Bible to serve the poor. The act of serving the poor doesn't earn your salvation, though. Don't get confused with that. That's a free gift from God. But how we are resembling our Heavenly Father within in our acts of serving the poor. Right? What, what is the condition of your heart while serving the poor? If you're just kind of doing it, you're just kind of showing up and I got to do my church thing, I got to show people that, you know, I'm holy or I got to be an example, whatever. Just don't do it. 
Just stop doing it. Right? Because if you're just doing it to earn brownie points, why? Or is it a manifestation of the mercy that God has already given you that you can't help but to pour that mercy out? I've received so much. I got to do this. I got to show people the love. Jesus then gives the Pharisees three woes. Like, whoa. Verse 42, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Don't get me wrong. Tithing is a good thing. Right? Giving is a good thing. Generosity is a good thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, it reads, On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. See, we are to give systematically, we are to give methodically, and we are to give proportionately. So, please don't take this as me judging you, because I have a confession to make. I confess to you that I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. I do set aside. I do set aside. But it's not systematic. Right? Now, elders, I know there's a few of you, you can hold me accountable to this. But, but it's not systematic for me. I, I, I can't say that I've cheated God out of giving anything, but it's not a systematic thing for me. I, I just don't think about that. I, I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't given in a while. I need to do this thing. Even though I've set it account, aside inside my account. So I need to be better about this. And also, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, we're to give generously and cheerfully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Pharisees tithed, and they tithed religiously. They even more than tithed. Right? It, and it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's just how they went about it, thinking that, you know, that's enough. And they neglected other things. And the Pharisees actually tithed on things that they don't even have to tithe on. And so that made them what? Puffed up. Got them proud. Like, hey, I don't even have to tithe that. And I tithe that. The Mishnah... That law book for, for Judaism states that rue, goosefoot, purslane, hill coriander, celery, meadow eureka are exempt from tithes. This is in their law book. So the Pharisees would probably have expected Jesus to compliment them on giving of things like this, but he doesn't. He calls them out on that thing. Why is Jesus doing this? Because the Pharisees are really good at adding to laws, right? They're good at this. They're good at going beyond what they need to do. So, so they added to tithing. And they, they added these herbs like rue. And so they're out there and rue, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's just a bush. It's like little leaves on it, little shrubberies and things like this. So they'd be like, nine for me, one for God. Nine for me, one for God. Nine for me, one for God. Right? Little leave thing, little nothing things, right? And they make a big deal out of it, picking this stuff. And so the Pharisees would, would, were, were like, hey man, we, we go through painstakingly dividing up tithe, even to this little herb. And, and so here, and then afterward they feel like, oh wow, we did, we did an awesome thing, we were picking herbs and we don't even have to tithe that stuff. And man, I'm great. I'm so generous. 
And so Jesus challenged them on that thinking of, uh, that, that they were believing that they were so great for tithing on herbs that they didn't have to tithe on by calling out the, on, their, on their neglect of justice and, and, and neglect of the love of God. Like, you're, you're so focused on an herb and that person over there suffering. That's lame. And so Jesus challenged them on this stuff. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? There's nothing there about pick and rue. Micah 6, 8. It gives us a description of a follower of God. How, how a community of God's people make known that God has touched their lives. And it's not about how we look on the outside, how close we stick to our guns when it comes to orthodoxy, or how well we can speak Christianese, which I think is the dialect of Chinese. But how do you do justice? How do you love kindness? How do you walk humbly with your God? See, how are we doing with this stuff? How are we doing with this stuff as a church? Or are we focused on this other stuff? Are we focused on picking rue? See, God is looking at us. He's cheering for us. He's, he's just up there like, come on, guys, come on. Love kindness. Do justice. Walk humbly with me. Is there enough evidence to prove that we even care about people? If someone pulled you aside and put you on the, the, the stand and says, prove to me how you love God. Is there enough evidence to prove that? I, showed a, I show up to church on Sunday Guilty. What the heck is that? Right? Like, so what? Who is the recipient of your justice? Who is the recipient of your kindness? Who is the recipient of your humility? You don't have to look very far to find someone in need in this part of Oakland, in this part of the Bay Area. The homeless, the refugees, the the prostitutes, the fatherless, the undocumented immigrant, it's all here, and it's here less than two blocks away. Maybe even less than one. It's on this block. Does your relationship end with tithing? Just, that's it? I give. I hope that's not the message that we have here. Like, I hope that's not, we show up on Sunday and we give and that's it. Cool. We're Christians. Sometimes to me, I'm just speaking from my perspective, it seems like we're not all in this justice, kindness, and humility thing together. We're not. Not all of us. Some of you are. Some of you are doing some awesome stuff. Some of you... Humble me. I'm just like, man, how do they do that? How do they give their life like that? They work full-time jobs, they have families, and they do that. That's incredible to me. Some of you aren't. Most of you aren't. I'm just calling it as I see it, as I feel it. Like, ah, I hate that guy. Just before you leave, tithe, okay? (laughs) What's going on inside of you? 
What's happening in there? You look good on the outside. You all look good. Most of you look good. What's happening on the inside? There are a lot of people to serve out there in, within two blocks. We don't have to go far. Actually, if you just even look inside the church, if you know people well enough, that we have enough here. We don't even have to go out there. we got enough problems here. But how are you getting involved in justice? There are a ton of things for you to do. Here's just a few things that are happening at the church. And if I, if I forget your ministry, please forgive me. I'm, I'm just, I'm, that's not what I'm meaning to do. Let's just take a look at a justice issue in terms of education. Why is it that our education around this area is so bad? And I'm not saying the teachers are bad or the people are bad or whatever. Why are the resources so limited here, but you go to another PTA in another part of Oakland, and they raise thousands of dollars for that school? What's going on there? How about we as a church, we've, we've sponsored La Escuelita, uh, the church just a few blocks away, and, and we give resources there if the teachers need paper or whatever because they have to buy a lot of this stuff on their own nowadays. Then, yeah, we want to come behind that. We want to help that. And we want to help with the resources like, like tutoring. Right? Because they don't have the resources to bring in another teaching assistant for a kid that's struggling with reading like this, uh, these other schools do with the strong PTA. Like, hey, we need that for our kids, so hey, let's put our money there. What about helping refugees? Who they used to they used to be sent here and I think they used to give those of you working with refugees you can correct me. They the state department used to give 18 months worth of finances. They used to support them for a year and a half. You know what it is now? For a brand new person fresh off of a plane, fresh off of a boat, fresh off of whatever in 3 months. If I plucked you off and I put you in a new country where you didn't know the language, you didn't know the banking system, you didn't know the transportation, you didn't know how to read any of it, all this stuff, and you're put there, you don't know where to get food, you don't know anything. And I gave, I said, oh, and here's three months to live off of. See you later. What are you supposed to do? So how about coming on a Friday, 2.30, and you help these folks learn English? Because what Alameda County has done is that they said, we are, we, budget cuts. We either have to cut early childhood development things like Head Start or we have to cut adult ed where ESL falls under. What do we do? They cut adult ed. There are no ESL classes out there anymore that are free. Except if you go to like a church or a civic center or a community center where people volunteer their time and they offer the resources to do that. How does justice look? So, so maybe when, when someone comes off of a plane, maybe a refugee comes off of a, of a plane, you or your family or your small group, or, or some, you can go meet them when they come off that plane. And you can say, welcome. We're going to help you. And here's a class where you can learn English. And here's a place for you to stay. Here's how you open a checking account. Here's, what you, here's the market. Here's where you get food. And what, do you, what do you like to eat? Where can you shop for your stuff? Oh, then Lucky's not going to work. You've got to go to Chinatown. Because Chinatown is everything. And you can bring them there. And, and doing stuff like that. What about mentoring youth? 
at-risk youth that have their father in prison or he's just not around. Or what. There's a ton of justice issues happening right here. How are you loving kindness? How about having breakfast with some of our homeless community across the street? Not serving them. Just having breakfast with them. Because that's kind of how it's done. We, we don't do it where, like, hey, here's your food. Go take it and have a seat. The way we do it here is we have it, we serve them, and then we eat with them. Same table. And we get to know them. How about hanging out with the homeless every other Friday night? Same thing. It's not about like food distribution. That's not, it's about relationship. It's about extending care, kindness, knowing that we know you're alive out here. And we know that when you get sick, that you're going to need to be taken to the hospital because we know your face. Not about like, here's a burrito. See you next week. That's not what it's about. That's not kindness. That's pity. We're to extend kindness. Right? Or just using your gifts or expertise to be serving the community however you can. If you are good with money, be creative and, and, and share that expertise and be an advocate for somebody that isn't so good with money. If you're in the medical profession, how do you help people in need with your skills? Because we know how expensive medicine is. Right? And... and, and yeah, if, if you're a medical professional, that you can simply just say, like, yeah, you don't have to go to the emergency room when your kid's fever's 101. And save that person tax dollars or whatever when they go because they don't know what to do. That we can offer resources. If you're proficient at a sport, that you can teach kids the sport and get them off the street. Do you know when most crime happens in Oakland? Friday night. What if we opened up our gym and people were into basketball and said, hey, it's a youth basketball night. All you guys can come here. And we extend kindness in that, hey, our, our resources are your resources. You're like, yeah, why don't you do that? Why don't you? I can't. I can't shoot basketball. Like, I, I can't do that. I do other things. Right? There's a Taekwondo outreach. Right? It's every Tuesday night, every Thursday night, that's there. Whatever gifts we have, we offer those gifts. You know? and, and so there's so many ways for us to extend kindness. Visiting senior homes, visiting shut-ins. There's so many things. How about walking humbly with your God? Saturday is cleaning day at the church. How many of you here have done that? That's below me. Don't you know I'm an attorney? Or don't you know I'm... Well, okay. And I'm not picking on your attorney because um, some, actually some of your attorneys are really awesome. It's just the first thing that came to my head. But whatever it is that you think, oh, I'm, I'm above that. I don't clean. Like, oh, leave the cleaning to the interns or leaving to the staff people. Leave it. Come on. Humbly walking with your God. Not very many things as humbling as cleaning an intern shower or the bathrooms of the church and all this kind of stuff. How about apologizing to someone in the neighborhood that you've neglected or that you've been narrow-minded with and you are humbly walking with your God and saying, like, you know what, I, I, I flipped out and I overreacted and I'm sorry about that. Verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. The best seats in the synagogue were in the front. 
So only Nancy's family took advantage of that. I, what, what's, do I spit? How come people never sit right here? I just want to, like, I, I'm just curious. You can email me confidentially. You don't, have to, you don't have to just say it here. The Pharisees jockeyed for these seats. I guess it's a good sign, right? You're not Pharisees. Oh, good, good. Um, but they would jockey for these seats in the front because um, it was a place where everyone could see them. Right? Then they get in their Pharisee garb and they show up on their stuff. And, and so it was, it was, it's a beautiful place to be an actor. It's like a front stage. It's right here for everyone to see. Like, oh, look at, there he is. Uh, that Pharisee, whatever, Saul. Pharisee Saul. Oh, my goodness, look at him. He's so beautiful. And, and they could act accordingly to the situation. So during worship, it's like, oh. And during prayer, they go, oh. And during when the rabbi's teaching, they're like, and so they could do all this stuff. They could put on this beautiful show of just like, oh, oh. And, all. and here's another confession for me to make to you. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of that. I'll be with the Lord. I'll be with the Lord. But this is such a convicting passage for me. It's so convicting because I'm, I'm going to have a bunch of confessions for you before we're all done. But I've been guilty of this right there. Because you know when I walk off the stage, I'm like, I'll be up front and I'll pray for you. Right there. I've been guilty of it right there. I'm pointing to you of that place. I'm not going to sit there anymore. But there have been a few times. It's not all the time. Please don't get me wrong. It's like, oh, that guy. It's not all the time. But there are a few times. That I've gone there, and I want people to notice how I worship. Like, wow, his hands are up, and he's got, and all this kind of stuff. Like, and, and how I'm praying, like, oh man. Like, sometimes inside of me, I'm like, wow, yeah, like, like notice me, guys. Like, look, I'm, I'm doing something cool. I'm also guilty of that second part in verse 43 also. Greetings in the marketplaces. I like it when people recognize me out of nowhere. They come up to me, hey, Pastor Albert. Hey. Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> I, I like it, right? When, when, when people recognize what the church is doing. Man, regeneration. I've heard so much about you guys, and you guys are doing this and that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Not all the time. I mean, it's not all the time. It's sometimes. It's very little, actually. But it happens. Because I have an ego. I like to know that we, I led the church in a good way, that we're doing good stuff. I like people to know that, oh, wow, you know what? I listened to you on iTunes, and what you said, it, it was really good. And thank you. I like that. I like that. I need that. I need to be encouraged. It's not like, please stop doing that. Pastor Albert struggles with this stuff, so therefore no more emails and no more calls and no more... We're not going to give him anything else because we're worried that he's going to get puffed up. You don't have to worry about that with me. Trust me. It, because I, I, I beat myself down. I need you to help lift me up. I'm so hard on myself. There's no one harder on me than me. And I'm working on that. 
But I like it when people tell me that stuff. I like, oh, well, you know what? I listened to your co- when you spoke at a conference or at a seminar, and what you said really spoke to me. I, I like that stuff. I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I like it. I don't like it when people say, like, you know what you said? I, it didn't do anything for me. Like, that's terrible for me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but I still need to hear that, too. I need to hear that. Right? So it's, it's not that it's necessarily bad knowing that I struggle with things at times, right? That I'm up front or that I like to be greedy. Like if I'm out there at Trader Joe's or something, you're like, oh, don't say hi to him because he, don't do it. It's not like that, right? Say hi, like, hey, cool, we'll, we'll, we'll chat and whatever. But, but I have to be careful lest I move into darkness. It's the same for you guys too, right? You got to be careful. So Jesus was calling these guys out. Shoot, he's calling me out. Jesus is calling me out. Because Jesus is not okay with this type of posturing and attention getting. He's not okay with the proud. Right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 44, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. What's going on here? Well, Walking over a grave would make you ceremonially unclean, right? That's why if you look at that Jerusalem picture, if you look at that, that gate there, right in front of that gate is, is full uh, of tombs, of graves, grave sites. So what the Muslims have done is they know that Messiah is supposed to come back through that gate on his return. What are we going to do? We're going to put a grave site there because then it makes it unclean. Then he can't go through that thing. But I don't know. It's kind of weird. Because if he's God, can't he just be like... <sighs> like, like is that, anyway, but that's why that's there. That's why that grave's there. So, uh, on the top, sometimes they would whitewash these things and they would look really clean. They look really beautiful. But inside is a dead guy. Inside is this decomposing, rotting flesh. So what happened during the times of festivals and celebrations is they'd go out and they'd clean the tombstones and they'd clean the graves and they'd be nice on the outside, they'd be beautiful. Uh, But sometimes people wouldn't see them, right? Even though it's like pretty clear, it's a grave, they wouldn't see them, they'd walk over them and there's a dead guy below, there's a rotting corpse below and so they'd be ceremonially unclean. And so Jesus was calling these guys unclean And the people who came in contact with them became unclean also because of them. Right? And and they didn't even know it. So they looked good on the outside, right? They looked at these beautiful tombstones, everything's good. But underneath, that that is not clean. That is rotting. Are we defiling people rather than blessing them? Are we unknowingly doing these things and we are unclean and we look good on the outside, our tomb looks good on the outside, but really inside it's just rotting and other stuff. And when we minister to people or we talk to people or whatever, because we're coming from that place, we're rotten inside, are we making them unclean too? Are we giving them kind of dirt? Are we defiling them rather than blessing them? Are we as a church making people less like Jesus or more like Jesus? Do, do you or, or, or do we push people to be more like Pharisees or more like Jesus? 
as a church, when, when we're equipping people, when we're doing these things as churches, as small groups and stuff, are we pushing people to be more like Jesus or to be more like a Pharisee? We need to be a place of grace, not judgment. This is a church. This needs to be a place of grace. Isn't Jesus so awesome to have over for a meal? After reading this, I'd be freaked out. Like, Jesus, come. Uh, um, can you wait and let me f- figure out if things are cool with me before I invite you? Right? Like, we're so anxious. Like, oh, Jesus, come. Really? Like, woe to you. And like, okay, here we go. Like, you know, this, this, I wouldn't invite Jesus over for a meal after this. Right? I... I, I didn't even have him over, and I feel like he came over. Just in, in, in this sermon thing that I'm doing. But thank God he's alive. Thank God that it's real in there for me. That like, yeah, come on, come on, wake up. Did it hit it home for any of you? Has, has the Holy Spirit spoken? Does, has Jesus spoken to you at all? It's not me. Has the word of God spoken to you? And I hope so. Especially for those of us who have a possibility of being like a Pharisee. How many of us are living extra biblical? And it's not necessarily bad. But it does have the problem of being problematic. Or the potential to be problematic. Because that extra biblical stuff that we've created has become biblical to us. And then we teach it that way and we preach it that way and we present it that way when it's not biblical. And then we get all judgmental about it. And that's not a good thing. That's the thing that causes division within churches and also from the community. And this is the type of stuff that grieves God. This is why Jesus couldn't let him get away with it. He was like, ceremonial cleaning. All right, here we go. Gloves off. What are you? How many of us are paying attention to the externals and neglecting what's happening inside? Neglecting a dynamic transformation from within. Let's, let's focus on cleaning inside. Right? May we impact those who are in need around us. May we do justice. May we love kindness. May we walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And even though it is difficult for me to hear, that's how much you love me. And I can't speak for anyone else in the church, but I'm hoping that your word has done something similar. Father, we need your help to be more like your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.